I'm excited today as we continue to dig into God's Word and look at the miracles that Jesus performed to let the world know, and during that time, that He was the Messiah. It reminds us of the same thing. God can turn little things into big things. God can take your small and make it large when we step out and hand over what is his already and pass it off. As we work our way through this series of messages, it's been my prayer this week, and it's been my prayer over the last four or five weeks, that somehow your faith would go to a new level where you'll truly not just logically love God, where it's just a head knowledge, but you will begin to believe that our God can do things that your mind has yet to comprehend, that our God can do impossible things. Our small group is believing that for someone in our small group. On our goals this year at Grace Community, goal number 26, if you read it out there in the foyer, says that we pray and we believe that God will do five unplanned miracles, that people walk away and say only God can do that. In fact, let me just a plug for small groups. If you're not involved in a small group right now, I encourage you to plug in. This is the way you get community. This is the way you do life on life. This is where you have an opportunity for people to walk through this journey with you. We've been praying and believing that God would take this tumor that's on Doug Beck's brain and God would remove it and that there would be a day that he'd walk away and say, only God can do that. He's at Mayo Clinic. Even our small group, we bought some bands and we put the number 26 goal on this band and we're wearing bands that say only God. We're supporting and believing that six, eight weeks this year that Doug will walk away and Tanya will be able to see that God is able to do things that we can't even imagine. But when we take our small things and put them into God's hands, he can do amazing things. I'm reminded as I've been walking through this series of things that God has done, it's good to look back and and if uh, you recall, a few chapters back in Fight Club, we had an outside graduation. If you've never been at a graduation of Fight Club, we invite the families, we invite the kids, wives, we invite best friends to be part, those who've been part of this journey. And we come for a celebration where men get a chance to say, hey, I did this for Jesus, I did this for my family, and we celebrate that. There can be as many as 1,000 to 1,500 people for graduations. A few chapters back, we had planned one for outside. I'm pretty excited about it and uh, hoping that God would move in a powerful way and give us good weather. So we began to pray. And the closer we got to that Sunday, the worse the weather got. And the rain forecast went from hardly anything on a two-week forecast to literally that night 100% chance of rain. But we believe that God wanted this to take place and with all our heart. And so we began to pray. God, give us a window for Fight Club graduation. We had it outside on our grounds. Give us a window, a time period that we can get this graduation in so that you get glory. We can celebrate what you're doing in men's lives. And and so we believed and we set up as if it was going to happen. During that night, it got really dark many, many times in the West because there was a 100% chance of rain in Goshen. It got so bad <laughs> that you could see the lightning and thunder in Wakarusa. It got so bad, a couple of times, guys were coming over with their phones that had the weather apps on, and they were showing me, Jim, we got to hurry up and get done, or we're going to get wet. It got, finally got to a point, I said, I don't even want to see your apps anymore. I don't even want to see them. We believe that God's going to take care of this. And, um, but someone snapped a photo because we began to pray, God, give us a window in Goshen so that we can celebrate you and let me show you a picture of what it looked like that night. That's what it looked like. That was the weather 
that's taken that night, 100% chance of rain. Now, let me just say, only God can do that. And we were able to go through the whole graduation, celebrate, clean things up, and it poured cats and dogs uh, when we were finished. So it answered the prayers of the farmers and answered our prayers too at the same time. Last week, similar. If you were here, I hope you weren't the person who stayed home because you thought it was going to rain. And I hope you showed up and believed that somehow God was going to give us a good day. And so we prayed and believed and planned for an outdoor service for Dad Fest. We didn't have a plan B. The plan was outdoor or nothing. But we believed that God wanted it to happen. And as we were watching the forecast for the week, um, the weather changes every 45 minutes. They give you an update because I watched it every 45 minutes on the weather app. Woke up Sunday morning around 2.30 a.m. and was looking at the weather, and there was this big band of green going from west to east, and it was moving in a westward direction. And as I was looking at weather here in Goshen, I had a 60% chance of rain at 10 o'clock, 55% chance of rain at 11 o'clock, and it was rain before that. Our services began at 10 o'clock, but we had prayed that week. You had prayed. I had asked hundreds of people to pray We actually laid on the ground in a prostrate way that week as pastors and prayed, Lord, I pray, God, that you would keep the rain away so that you get greater glory for that and on this day. So the weather was forecast, and we began to see it, and you could see it, the green was coming. And God did something last week that we can only say God did. He actually broke up the band that was coming, and it went from 60% and 50%. And this is a picture of the weather around Goshen last week, last Sunday. God moved it south of us. And there were people who came from Warsaw, left in the rain. There were people in LaGrange that came. It was raining. There were people on the east side of Goshen, left their homes, and it was raining. And when they got here, there was sunshine and dry. Only God can do that. We give him the glory for that because God wanted to do something in our midst. Why do I tell you that? Because God can do impossible things, especially if we ask him to, especially if we give him a chance to, especially if we believe he can. Now, let me just ask a question. How many of you stayed at home last week because you thought, it's going to rain? Let me tell you what God did last week. We saw over 50 decisions for people to trust in Jesus Christ. We had baptisms planned, and we had over 50 spontaneous baptisms that took place. God was ready to do something if we believed and let him. Today, we're going to see another amazing move of God that happened over 2,000 years ago. We're going to see where God took something very little and turned it into something very great. Grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to John chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6, <clears throat> verses 1 through 15. When you find that, stand with me. And if just stand with me as we read God's Word, each person in both auditoriums. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. 
Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You may have a seat. Keep this truth in mind when it comes to God doing miraculous things. And in this case of this miracle here, Jesus has the answer before we ask. Jesus has your answer to your situation before you've even asked him. Whatever situation that you're facing right now, Jesus has the answer to it. Stop and just let that truth kind of just soak over. Just, let, just, just take a shower in that truth. My situation, your situation, Jesus is never baffled, perplexed, or even a tiny bit frightened by your dilemma. And he's not surprised by this seemingly impossible situation that you think. He already has the answer. He said, it's there. So how do we receive it? How do we trigger it? How do we find it? How do we watch God supply in our lives? He sees thousands of people coming. And we know that there were 5,000 men, which means in turn, there were probably 20,000 people because wives and children. So Jesus is up on this hillside. He had just had a hard day the day before of ministry. And he looks and there's this massive crowd coming towards him. He has compassion for them. He realizes they're probably hungry. So he sees them and the idea surfaces. Let's feed these people. And so he asks Philip, where can we buy some bread for these people to eat? Why would he even ask him that question? Look back at your text again. Look at verse 5. It says this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Look at verse 6. He asked this only to what him? What's it say? Test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Let me just pause and say, let me give you a truth today. Sometimes God allows your situation that seems impossible right now in your life that you're walking through because he wants to test you. Yes, God does test us. He gives us tests from time to time. He wants to test to see if you believe in him. He wants to test to see if you trust him. He wants to test to see if you'll give up on him. He wants to test and strengthen your faith. He wants to see if you still believe in him when you're walking through a very difficult time. Yes, God will walk us through these kind of times to test the quality of our faith. 
So the very reason that some of you probably walk through this difficult thing, God wanted to test your faith. He wanted to see the level of your faith. He wanted to know if you trust him. And as a result of walking through these hardships, you and I can all look back to the hard times in our lives and say, that's when I grew the most. Why? Because we were totally dependent on God. So he looks at this situation and he sees Philip and he says, I'm doing this to test you. Jesus already had an answer and a plan to this situation, but he was doing it to test. Now look at six, the, the, the second part of verse six. It says at verse, first part, he had, he asked this only to test him for he already had in what? What's the word? What he was what to do. What's it say? So why would he test him if he already had the answer? Think about that for a second. God sees these people. Jesus sees these people, 20,000 of them. He asked Philip, hey, you think we'll be able to feed them? He wanted to test Philip to see if he believed that Jesus could do what he couldn't do on his own. And he already had the answer. It's like it was dangling there. It was already available. Jesus wasn't concerned. He was just testing to check out his faith. The answer was waiting to be received. So how do you trigger? How do you release that answer? How do we, how do we get to what God has already provided in advance for us? And how do we shut that off? Because I believe there's times that God has the answer, but we shut him off from delivering it to us. Think about it for a second. He had the ram in the thicket for Abraham. He was supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac. He already had the ram. His horns were caught in the thicket, but he wanted to test Abraham to see if he would follow through. Had he not followed through, he would have never known that there was an answer already waiting. He had hundreds of fish on the other side of the boat for his disciples who had fished all night and hadn't caught anything. And they were frustrated. And Jesus said, hey, throw your nuts on the other side. And they're like, are you kidding me? We are, we're fishermen, Jesus. You're a preacher. He says, throw it on the other side. They were already swimming on the other side. And all they do is drop the net and pick them up. And I wonder, I just wonder, how many answers has God have available to your situation? And all you have to do is believe it. How many of you have shut off the answer of God because of your lack of faith. Just insert your situation into this narrative. Your marriage, your dream, your wall, your relationship, your financial well, your disease, your bad report, your mountain, and answer this question. Where can you go and get help for that? God holds everything together, Colossians says. He holds the world together with his hands. Listen to me. Your situation isn't too difficult for a God who created the world out of nothing. And the answer is available. And in this case, he was doing this to test Philip to see, Philip, do you believe that? God's hand of providence, sometimes we don't see it, we don't recognize it. Until past, we're through it. God's providential hand is all over our lives, and sometimes we don't recognize it. 
And I love when I hear stories about God's providential care, how his invisible hand protected someone or cared for someone or supplied for someone. Let me give you an example of a president of the United States, George Washington. Let me read you a story of God's providential care in his life as he was preparing him to one day be the president of the United States. Listen to this true story about George Washington. Our first president, George Washington, may have had more a profound appreciation for the eye of providence than any one of his generation. On April 30th, 1789, he delivered his first inaugural address, paying homage to God's providence in his life, in the life of his country. George Washington said this, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency known as God. The story goes on. Those were not words spoken in a vacuum. They had poignant personal meaning. As President Washington stood on the balcony of the Federal Hall in New York City, he must have experienced a 44-year flashback to the Battle of Monongahela in July of 1755. The then 23-year-old colonel in the British Army had two horses shot out from under him, and four musket balls passed through his coat. A Native American named Red Hawk later testified to having shot at Washington no less than 11 times, never to hit him. He he was convinced that Washington was bulletproof. Of the 1,300 British soldiers, only 30 survived. And every other officer on horse besides George Washington was killed. In a letter to his brother, George Washington wrote, Death was leveling my companions on every side of me. But by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected. Fifteen years after the battle, George Washington returned to the wilderness territory in the Western Reserve where he encountered the same tribe of Native American Indians. Not surprisingly, the chief recognized Washington immediately. The average fighting soldier in the Revolutionary War was five foot one. Washington was no less than six foot two. Their dialogue was first recorded in George Bancroft's History of the United States. Through an interpreter, the tribal chief made a startling prophecy of biblical proportion. And this is what he said. I am the chief and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I may see the young warrior of the great battle, George Washington. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the streams of our forest that I first beheld this chief, Washington. I called to my young men and said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of Redcoat's tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do. Himself alone is exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. 
Our levels were leveled. Our rifles were leveled. Rifles which but for him knew not how to miss. T'was all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded him from harm. He cannot die in battle. The chief went on to say, I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of shades. But ere I go, there is something that bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. Listen, he said, the great spirit protects that man and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empower. And that empire we know as the United States of America. God's providential care is there. And just because we don't often see his invisible hand, he is ready to protect. He is ready to guide. He is ready to intervene in our lives. So Philip answered him. What's Philip's answer? Can, can, verse 7. Jesus was testing him. Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Short and sweet, Jim Brown version. Jesus, you got to be kidding me. It's not going to happen. There is no way. It's impossible. Listen, if we sent them all to the Panera bread, they wouldn't have enough food to feed them. There's not enough money here to purchase food for them. So forget it, Jesus. Plus, how in the world would we ever organize it? Now, just pull away and think about that fact. Sometimes those facts get blown away. Imagine a second. If I just selected 12 men in this auditorium or in the link, and I just said I have 12 men, and I brought them up on stage, and then I said this to them, in three minutes, you're going to feed 20,000 people. Can you imagine the organizational nightmare that would be. Can you imagine? That's how quickly they found out about it. Jesus already had the answer. And let me give you how, how big a space that is. The average space for a human being to take up when they're sit, sitting, eating is 13.5 feet. So if you multiply roughly 20,000 people by 13.5 feet, you come out to a 6.2 acre space. Now, if you just go south of us in that green space that we purchased last year, that is 10 acres of grass. Take about six-tenths of that. We probably used less than one-tenth of that last week. And just load it full of people and then try to feed them. That's what Jesus was about to do with five pieces of bread and two fish. Philip says it is impossible It can't happen. Why did he say that? Because his head got in the way of his heart. That's just too much, Jesus. That's impossible to do. You see, this is the time, and this is where our human calculations reject the answer that God has already made ready for us. And I wonder right now, Like, I wonder right now, how many times you have rejected this answer that God had already available because you said, well, that can't happen. I'm not even asking him. And he already has in mind the answer for you. Philip says, it's too big. There is no way. And Jesus 
already had in mind how he would answer that. He already had in mind how you would get through college. He already had in mind how he would provide an apartment. He already had in mind how, how you would see that, that incredible bill that you received unexpectedly to take. He already has the answer in mind, but some of us cut him off because we don't think he can do it. Philip tried to do that. So he moves on and asks someone else. Look at verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Andrew pipes up. We got the Happy Meal from Long John Silver's. But that won't do it. So Jesus, like, hey, maybe, maybe two people. Please remember this as we think about your situation and we think about this story. Our job is not to crunch numbers or audit the will of God. The second you begin to crunch numbers and try to figure it out humanly, listen, God doesn't need our multiplication numbers. He doesn't work by our algebra. God is beyond that in his ability. The answer is on the way. Philip says it's impossible. Andrew says, we have all we have, and number two mil from Long John Silver's is not going to do it, Jesus. What happens next? Verse 10. What's Jesus' response? I I just love his response. Look what he says. Have the people what? What's it say? Why, 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 why? He looks at Philip. Philip says, you got to be kidding, Jesus. He looks at Andrew. Andrew says, Long John Silver's number two. Not going to do it. What does he do? He says, he says, all right, you go tell. Have everyone sit down. Why? Because he was about to ring the dinner bell, wasn't he? He was about ready to feed them. And I love this little tidbit of information that John gives. Like, out of nowhere, in fact, every gospel account records this account. This is the only miracle of the seven that we're looking at, that it's in all four accounts. And, and so John says this, look, look, look again at verse 10. Have the people sit down, and there was plenty of what in that place? You know, don't you love that? Like, why? It made it comfortable. <laughs> they sat down in the plush grass. There's another minor miracle that doesn't often get addressed in here. How in the world did they get that meal from that little boy? Seriously, man. His mom probably said, no, you eat the meal and you eat all of it. Somehow he had to be convinced too. The text says that there was plenty of grass in that area. I love that information. But what happens next often gets lost in this account. Look at verse 11. So he tells him to sit down. He already has the answer in advance. Philip and Peter or Andrew don't think it's going to happen. And then in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves And what did he do? What's the two words? Don't overlook that prayer. Please, Grace Community, listen to me. Don't overlook this prayer. Why? This is a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer that says, even though I don't see it, I know I'm thanking you in advance because food is on the way. It's us saying, I can't see it, but I'm thanking you in advance that the answer's there. Lord, I don't know how. My logical mind, I've crunched all the numbers. I've never, ever, ever been able to figure that one out. But listen, I'm thanking you advance that you're going to do this. Even Jesus himself 
prayed to his father and thanked him. Can you imagine? Just think, just think, the disciples are going nuts at this time. Like, Jesus, there's 20,000 people. They're going to be checked. And you're making a promise that you're going to feed them? Oh, we got some number two from Long John Silvers. And so Jesus prays, dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we're going to feed these people. Can you imagine Philip and Andrew had an eye open? Like, what do you say? They're human beings, by the way, so just don't over-spiritualize them. I wonder today if you have already thanked the Lord in advance for what he's going to do for you. How do you do that, by the way? Like, Pastor Jim, how do I, how do, I do that? Like, this is what I see in my life, and this is my situation. How do I, how do I, what do I do to show the Lord that I believe that you got the answer? It's, it, it's available. Lord, I, I want to release that. I want to I trigger that with my steps of obedience. I, 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 how, do I, how do I do that? Well, maybe it's just a simple picture on your wall of what you're believing to be true. And every day, you go to your office, you go to your home, you go to your prayer room, and there's that picture of that dream that you have. And you believe that one day, that's where God's going to put you. And you put your hand on there, and you say, Lord, I thank you in advance that, Lord, I believe this is where you want us to live. God, I believe that you're going to give me this home so I can help orphans. God, I, I believe it. That's the orphan home. Lord, I, I believe. I, and every day, maybe it's a picture on the wall that says, thank you. And you walk in that room and say, thanks. <laughs> I can't wait. That's believing in advance. Maybe, maybe it's just a Sharpie on a fence post somewhere. Pastor Jim, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, let me just give you a little backstory. A little over a year ago, as we were moving forward to look at the lodge and purchase it, and we were really excited. And as a leadership team, we were excited. And as a church, we had been praying. And, and there was a Friday in the midst of that journey that the deal went south. And to be quite frank, it wasn't a deal anymore. We had already hired Ken Swartz to mow grass, and he was our groundskeeper. Why? Why did we do that? Because we believed in advance God was going to give us that property. And so he was down there mowing grass, and we held this information as a leadership team. We were praying, and, 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 but I believed, and they believed, and we believed that God was going to provide. And, and I remember thinking, Lord, I walked around this property over 50 times praying a prayer circle around this. We were watching our son, Isaiah, play golf at Max Welton. And one evening as we were walking on this, felt compelled by the Spirit to go to the lodge, which was next door, and pray. My son Josh was with me, and so we drove to the entrance. There's two entrances, and we went down to the entrance. And I, Josh and I got out, and we got on our hands and knees. Me and my son looked over, and I saw my son. He was down with me. And we prayed Isaiah 22, 22. Lord, any door that you open, no man can ever close. And any door that man opens, closes, God, you can open. And we prayed on our hands and knees. And I said, Josh, he prayed and I prayed. And we walked over to, drove up to the next entrance. And we went right to the next entrance. And we got down again and said, Lord, you promised this, God. We believe this, Lord. Even though the report says this deal is off, we believe. And I took a Sharpie pen at the entrance of this and by the way, it's still there. You can still see it. And I took this Sharpie pen, and I wrote this on the fence post at the entrance. 
Let me show you. Down at the bottom, it says Grace Lodge, so be it. <laughs> and let me show you where this is at. Every time you drive into the main entrance at the lodge, look at the next picture. Every time that you drive in, on my left, down at the bottom, still etched in a sharpie is Grace Lodge, so be it. And the Lord provided. The Lord did something in the next couple weeks that turned the whole direction of that because of some decisions that were made, believing by faith. And we now get to see people refresh, refuel, and come alive for Jesus Christ. I think there's these steps of obedience along the way where we say, Lord, I believe, and I'm showing you that I believe, and there's this step of action that we take place. Two weeks ago, I had one of our brothers here in our church after the message when I talked about Nick Bushisi, who had no legs and no arms, and, and I shared how he has a pair of shoes in his closet <laughs> that one day he believes that God can allow him to walk. This brother said that inspired him to get a deposit slip, and he has a deposit slip, the amount of money written on it that he's ready to deposit to take care of this dream that he has when the Lord provides. The deposit slip is written. Maybe for you, it's a baby room that's painted. You're believing and asking, and and it's still a desire of your heart. And maybe even go so far as painting it blue or pink for a desire that you have. Maybe maybe you've got the report that you can't run again, and, 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 and you just... Maybe, maybe you just sign up for a 5K that's six months or a month out, and you already got your name on the list. Maybe you just need to do something to say, God, I believe that you can do it. It's a step of faith, and it's a belief that we know that God can do it. I personally believe this with all of my heart. God's never going to give to you if you don't have a dream already in place. God's not going to hand you $5,000 or $10,000 or a million dollars. If a million dollars today, you found out a million dollars was coming your way today, would you even know what to do with it? Have you taken time to pray and say, Lord, this is the dreams I have for my family, for my life, for my kids, for our future. And have you even written them down that if someone came by today and with God sent knocking on doors and said, I have a million dollars, do you know what you would do with it? Do you even know what that is? I believe that you should have prayers and goals that have been birthed out of, out of praying. If someone would drop $10 million and came knocking at our door today, I have 31 things. It would take $10 million for this to happen. And we've prayed, and this list is there. And if someone would come and they say, what would you do with the million dollars? Well, let me tell you. What I, do you even, would you even know what to tell someone? Have you even prayed through? Are you leading your family in this direction that if it would even happen, or are you just trying to make it week to week? Write it down. This list hangs in my office. And each day as I leave, I turn the light off. There it is. Lord, if you so choose, this is for you. Stop and consider this truth too. If the boy didn't give his little, then there would not have, they would not have received a miracle. Where is God asking you to hand over your little so that it can turn into much? 
If you put what you have in your hands into the hands of God, he can turn little into much. Do you believe that, by the way? But you've got to release it. Always remember this, Grace. Spiritual maturity is not self-sufficiency. It's not getting to a point where you no longer need to be dependent upon God. Spiritual maturity is, I need you, God, every hour, every second, every day. I am depending on you for my sustenance. It's not getting to a point where you don't even pray anymore or, or offer a request. Spiritual maturity is never meant for us to not depend on God. Think about this. Had that little boy not given up everything, he gave everything he had, that miracle would have never been performed. You could be someone's answer for their miracle by giving away something that's yours. See, somewhere in our Christian circles, we have come to believe that God should provide more so that we need him less. Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell. So give me a better job, God, so that I can have more money, bigger investments, and less of you. No, God's not going to honor that. God gives more not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. You want more? Start giving more. Derek Carr, who's the quarterback for the Los Angeles Raiders NFL football team, just recently, just this week, signed a new contract with the LA Raiders. He's a Christ follower, by the way. Signed a contract, five years, $125 million. And some say, whoa, why is he $125 million? I watched an interview with him post-signing this contract. And this is what he said he was going to do with his money. Derek Carr. They asked him, so what are you going to do with $125 million? $125 million. What, what are you going to do? He, he pulled out his list. This is what he said. Number one, I'm going to Chick-fil-A and getting a meal. <laughs> Pretty simple guy, isn't he? Secondly, he said this. I'm going to tithe to my local church. Let me ask you something. How many of you even do that? Like, the offering went by today. How many of you even gave to the local church? And you're praying, oh, Lord, Provide! Doesn't Luke 6, 38 say, give, and it shall be given unto you? Thirdly, he said this. I'm going to buy something pretty special for my wife. Smart man. And then he went on to say this. And by the way, he said, my wife's a pretty simple wife. He said, she coupons everything. This guy's a 125 millionaire. And his wife uses coupons. And lastly, here's why. Fourth thing he said he was going to do. I'm going to give away so much to people who need it here, and I'm going to give away and help people in other countries. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. God cannot give back what you don't give away. Do you hear me? God cannot give back what you don't Give away. About 10 years ago on a Sunday morning, many of you were part of that. 
you decided that you would give away a monthly support or yearly support to Asia's Hope. And I remember standing here, and I remember that morning, we made a commitment that we would care for these orphan kids from, crib, from cradle till they got to the university. We made a commitment. It was an incredible commitment. It could be as many as 18 years. And many of you are still making that commitment. My wife and I are. We made a commitment. We're going to make sure our kids get the best of the best, and we're going to make sure our kids, if it's up to us, they're going to be the movers and shakers of Asia. And you made that commitment. Let me tell you a story about one of our gals. She's in Thailand. Her name is Ratana, short Na. Beautiful, beautiful Asian Thai girl who was born and raised in the hill tribes. Which, by the way, in Thailand, if you're a hill tribes child, you're not even considered a citizen. It's the lowest of lowest of lowest. She was an orphan, mother and father dead. Asia's Hope found her and some other gals that are in her home, and they rescued them out, took her away from most likely which would have been human sex slavery, brought her to Asia's Hope. You gave so that she would have a home. And for 10 years, you have been giving to this precious, precious, bright, intelligent. Now think about it. When she came to Asia's Hope, not only did she have to learn English. She had to learn Thai. She didn't speak Thai. She spoke hill tribes. So she had to learn hill tribes and English. Just recently, two years ago, she graduated from high school and was sent to a university. But she is so bright and her IQ is so incredibly high that we wanted and she wanted to go to the best university because she's so intelligent. And so we as a church made sure that she got to the best university for the brightest students. Our last trip there, we found out she was able to get a bus and come back and visit with us. And, and we gave away some backpacks that had Grace Community on it and a ball hat that had Grace Community on it. And she shared this need. She said, since I've been at the university, they require that every student has an iPad. She says, I can't afford an iPad word got to me. We're getting her iPad. (laughs) And we went to the mall, our team. And with your giving, we bought her an iPad so she could be a good student. There's a picture of her standing at the counter, entering and registering for her iPad. You see, she's got her Grace and Action shirt on. She's got her Grace and Action hat on. And she has a Grace and Action backpack. She was so excited. She was trying to talk. She could hardly talk in broken English. And we knew she was excited. And Ann and I were excited. I was sobbing. Ann was crying. And whoever else was there was crying. And there's this picture as we walked away from the mall that I snapped up of my wife, Mama Ann, holding Ratana's hand. You see, that's what happens when you give. You get way more back. And because we gave this gal, let me tell you, she wants to be a school teacher in Thailand, and she will be. And not only will she teach him a subject, but she's going to tell him about Jesus Christ. This little boy gave little so that a miracle could be performed. Look what happens next. Jesus has him sit down. Verse 11, he prays to give thanks. Verse 12, look what it says in verse 12. 
when they had all they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Verse 13. So they gathered them and filled how many baskets? With pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now I've heard every reason under the sun why there were 12 left. No one really knows. Some think there's 12 baskets to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Could be. It's a good explanation. Here's what I believe. I believe there were 12 baskets left over because there were 12 disciples. And when Jesus left, it says that day went to a solitary place. I believe the 12 disciples went with him. And you know what needed to happen the next day? They were hungry. And I believe they reached in the back of their backpack and pulled out this number two from Long Jesus Silver's. And they were reminded of what God did the day before. And I believe that when Philip and Andrew ate those barley loaves and that fish, they kind of looked at each other and said, I believe. You see, why do we read that today? Because God wants us to know that he can take little and turn it into much. I wonder if there was a buzz on that hilltop that day. Some little boy was busy telling the story that his fish and chips fed everybody. You see, miracles are simply peepholes into God's providential care for us. Something miraculous happened on that hillside 2,000 years ago that we still read about today. The little boy's name remains anonymous, yet his willingness to give his fish and chips has been etched in history forever and has allowed God to release a miracle that he had planned in advance to do. I wonder in this room, I wonder to those watching through the internet, I wondered you sitting in the link right now. How many miracles God has planned to do in advance if we only take what's in our hands and place it in his hands? You see, why did this happen? Look at verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet or the son of God who has come into our world. I read a definition of faith years ago that really rings true with me. I love it. Like, I would love to see an artist paint this. The definition of faith is this. Faith is climbing out on a limb, cutting it off, and watching the tree fall. At some point, we got to risk it all to see God provide. But it begins by us opening up our hands and handing it off to God. Because some of us hold too tightly to what is already his. Let me ask you some questions. Where have you believed the lie that God can't come through for you? Let me ask you another question. What do you need to release to God so he can multiply it? Thirdly. Where is your logical mind getting in the way of your faith? How many of you stayed home last week because you knew it was going to rain? Lastly, 
where are you wanting God to provide more so you can depend on him less? We need to take a step of faith. In my office on May 19, 2016, this might not mean much to do, but this means a lot to me. This hangs in my office, and I'll hang it up after the service today. It's a picture of my family after a fight club graduation at the lodge before we owned it. And I wanted God to know that I believe, even though the door has been closed, that you can open it back up. So I took a Sharpie pen, and I wrote, before we named it, Grace Lodge. And I put May 19th, so be it. I believe that God could do what my eyes and mind could never conceive. And you know what? He had already had it in advance, waiting to deliver it. And all it takes is a step of obedience to trigger it. Do you believe that? So how are you doing that in your life? Have you shut down what God has already prepared for you? In front of you and me in both auditoriums are these two-by-four studs. They're 10 foot tall. You might wonder why they're here. All of these studs are going to go into our new addition. We're going to build some walls with some of these studs. On our goal list this year, goal number 26, we're praying for Doug back to God will miraculously heal him through this incredible radiation treatment that he's gone through because God does use doctors. Praise God for that too. We're going to build some walls with these studs. I believe that we need to take a step of faith and say, God, this is my signpost. This is my four by four at the lodge. Grace Lodge, so be it, I believe. I'm going to ask you to do something as we sing this last song. When Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. Now hear me out. This isn't for you to come and just hope. This is you coming and saying, I believe by faith and I don't doubt. This isn't you just writing some random thing because everybody else is writing some random. This is you saying, Lord, I want you to do this so I can depend on you more. I want you to do this so I can bless more. I want you to do this so that you get greater glory. And so what will happen in the walls that will be built for this new addition will be these studs with number 26, only God can provide. So as we sing this last song, I encourage you to come. Write your miracle on these studs. Dear Lord, I pray that you would move in a powerful way. And I pray, God, that you would do what only you can do. And we pray that symbolically these things that we're writing down is us saying, even though I don't see it, I believe you have prepared in advance to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to come. There's studs on the floor. They're up on the stage and act as we sing.